do. <coughs> Jones. Hello and welcome to Refigure. Hello, this is the podcast for arts, culture and diversity. I'm Reefa. And I'm Christopher. What are we talking about today? We watched Spike Lee's new film, The Flive. The Flive. <laughs> the Flive. <laughs> We watched Spike Lee's new film, Da Five Bloods, on Netflix, starring Delroy Lindo from The Good Fight and Clark Peters and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. from The Wire and Treme. Uh, this is a film about Vietnam vets going back to the scene of the crime, uh, going back to Vietnam, having a reunion. We also watched the Steve Carell comedy series Space Force, with John Malkovich. The mighty John Malkovich. Tawny Newsom and Ben Schwartz. Ben Schwartz. He was in Parks and Rec, yeah? He was. John Ralphio from Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah. How are you, Chris? I'm doing fine. It has been another heavy few days in the world of the world, but um, we've had a lovely... I, th- I feel like we've kept ourselves together, and although it might seem we're on social media a lot, both of us has taken a bit of a social media backpedal, which has been really good and healthy. And we went to a local Black Lives Matter protest gathering that was really peaceful and really creative and full of a load of different kinds of people, like all ages were there. We didn't get edgy because there weren't any police there. Yeah, it was a very low-key police presence down in Brighton, which was admirable, uh, at least at the parts of it that we were at. I guess the level, which is this big chunk of field in the middle of Brighton like it'd be very hard to kettle a big crowd like that there wouldn't it it's got exits everywhere it's not fenced off or anything you don't need to go through a gate to get in and out so it's a really great space for a big gathering it's like a common and everyone was really respectful and it felt really impromptu after the main march where apparently it was 10,000 people walked and did social distancing and it was organised really well uh, by a couple of women and then the main like level part was not it didn't seem very organized as in it wasn't like an official thing with a stage and a mics and all of that but people were gathered in sort of concentric circles and they were letting people speak and tell their experiences and that was i thought was really moving but of course the sound didn't carry but it was the fact that people thousands and thousands of people are gathered on my insta you can see some of the photos and uh, of course people like sky news just focused on a very small group of counter-protesters, I don't know what you would want to call them politely, people... Nazis. Nazis who were supposedly defending the war memorial in Brighton. <laughs> it is, a, it's yeah. a small cenotaph, yeah. And most people probably don't even notice it either, but it's like right near the pavilion. Anyway, they were shouting a lots of abuse at people going past. So that's where all the police were, basically, around them. Did they wee on it? It's ironic, isn't it? It's the war and the Nazis, they weren't us. Like, so we've got all of this stuff going on, but we've also got coronavirus going on in the background. Mm. How do you feel about balancing all that out? And as we record today, it's the first day that quite a lot of shops reopened, so there were big queues all around the country. Yeah, Primark mainly, weren't it? Because they weren't online. Oh, I see. So they nearly went bust anyway, because they don't have an online presence for some reason. TK Maxx does. Anyway, I know far too much about this stuff, right? So, um, 
What, how do I feel? I feel like it's the end of days, mate. It's all happening at once. We've got plagues, we've got riots, we've got things happening. People cannot keep their eyes blinkered anymore. It's just how it is. And secrets and lies are coming out from all levels. People power is the only thing we've got, isn't it? I agree. <laughs> Shall we talk about Space Force? The president is creating a new branch in the United States military, Space Force, <laughs> which Mark will run. I don't... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Space Force, Steve Carell, um, hero of the American office. It's a new comedy series, sort of um, a gentle satire series of the idea of a militarised space programme that has made just impossible promises because of Trump. So the invisible kind of leader in the background is a Trump-type character demanding all these ridiculous things for ridiculous reasons and nobody knows anything. Everyone's an idiot. And then you've got this slightly sad four-star general played by Steve Carell attempting to navigate getting a new mission up to the moon. It was a workplace comedy. It was quite like Parks and Rec or The, the, office. Or the office or those kind of things. It was really entertaining. There were lots of really nice performances. John Malkovich is bloody fantastic in it just chewing the scenery he's having a great time being an arsehole at first i thought i don't know whether i'm supposed to love this or not for example there's this odd subplot where the hero's wife played by lisa kudrow played by lisa kudrow it's not quite explained why but she's in prison the whole way through so he keeps visiting her in prison and that as a subplot felt like we were supposed to really care that they weren't together and feel their sadness but then other bits of the comedy were really broad but on the whole, it was fun. What did you think of it? Yeah, I think it's a whole genre in itself, this sort of situational comedy, isn't it? It's not quite comedy at all. It's bittersweet. It's I blame Ricky Gervais for this. Like, it's not laugh a minute. It's quite sad. I don't really feel sympathy for the main character. He's a military person. He's kind of a lonely old bloke. <sighs> And he's very sweet, but he's very conservative as well. And I think that's what jarred with me a bit because it's so mainstream, really. There's a bit in it where there's some counsellors come and they sort of take the piss out of an AOC type character as well. Like, And they even call her Yeah, something. like some initials or something. She's like a progressive no, young... No, they call her angry young Latina or yeah, something. Yeah. Angry young counsellor or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know who it's appealing to, but I suspect it's that demographic of people who aren't quite liberal, people who quite like, they're sort of in the spectrum towards the more Trumpy type thing. Yeah, and also it changed as it went on. So it's, I think they started it with a pilot where he was a conservative trope. Like he was, he was incompetent, stupid, and a bit racist and a bit misogynist. And then, of course, that doesn't work for a series if you're going to want to admire, or not even admire, but just engage with the character. You need to want them to try to do their best. So they softened his character and they brought in his... Uh, he has a daughter who's going through her own adventure, trying to come of age and have an adult life in a military sort of environment in the middle of nowhere when she was previously used to living in a big city. And all of these kind of things require you to want to spend time with them. And sometimes they got that right and sometimes they got that really badly wrong yeah and you kind of think that there's different writers who are pulling in different directions because yeah. you see that in different episodes and it's a bit like it won't find its feet maybe until like with parks and rec they make a decision about what they're gonna like why are they like this he's just a broken middle-aged man 
I think I've seen enough of that sort of stuff, to be honest. But I enjoyed the space aspect of it and the silliness of like being in competition with China gets to the moon first and builds a colony. So they have to fast forward their thing that's been going on for two years, their project. So they have to bring it forward because the president can't be seen to be losing to China, that kind of thing. I do think John Malkovich, I find him slightly irritating anyway in life like in other films not in life in my life he doesn't know i exist he He's mumbles so much he mumbles and bumbles and bumbles through it and the funniest thing for me is the kind of slapstick stuff because that's what i want to watch some silliness sometimes where the buildings are so far away from each other that he has to go down 16 flights of stairs and cross the courtyard and go up another 16 flight of stairs and then he hasn't got the right id with him so he can't get in but he's like the lead scientist on the whole project so they're just messing with him and he has to go all the way back again those kinds of things it's a bit faulty towers you know people in power getting a bit of a comeuppance i just found him funny that's because it's appealing to your demographic well also so is the show a broad comedy where everyone's a total moron or is the show a really sophisticated social comedy where Lisa Kudrow gets the space and time to explain very gently and carefully what an open or poly polyamorous relationship might look like? And they use very good sort of well thought out language to do that. And of course, his reaction is resistance and sadness about it. But we don't know what type of comedy we're in at that point. Are we supposed to be laughing at them being idiots or are we supposed to be being impressed by their progressive nature or what? I think, what? It's, I think it probably is really progressive and it's going over my head maybe. It's not. It's not maybe going it's, over your head. But it, it's just, it's a really clever comedy and I think it's just warming up to it. I wonder if there's a pull between it being um, an ensemble cast piece and and piece that's supposed to privilege these two big name actors or th- two or three big name actors. So if it were more like a pure ensemble office comedy, it would probably be better and we wouldn't care about the individual lives so much and we just have more workplace inanity, right? And that'd be fine. Or if it was much more like a comedy about the individual, the two or three key characters and then we focused right in on them... That would be fine too. It'd be a different show, but that'd be fine. And what they've got wrong is they're trying to shoehorn all of these different types in at once and please everyone. There are too many extraneous characters. There are literally, because it's a space thing, there are literally a room with full of, full of scientists. Yes. How many stars are we going to give it? We're not going to give it any stars. Okay. Not that it's got zero stars, but we just don't (laughs) give star ratings. So that is Space Force, Steve Carell's Netflix comedy series, which you can find now. Is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Reefer, last night we watched Spike Lee's new film about a small group of Vietnam veterans who were in the war together and have stayed friends or still know each other in old age. And they go back to Vietnam ostensibly to retrieve the body of their fallen comrade. And they've got permission from the American government and they're going to go and see the places they saw when they were in Vietnam. 
travel around, see what the country's like, but also retrieve this body if they can find it, which they think they can. It is a ferocious drama and also a quite broad action thriller at points. It stars Clark Peters, who was in The Wire and Treme, and it stars um, Delroy Lindo, who's fantastic in The Good Wife, The Good Fight. He's brilliant. What did you think of it? I mean, I feel like Spike Lee's at the having a peak. He's having an amazing peak, because it's only a year since Black Klansman, which should have won the Best Picture Oscar. He's got this kind of loose-limbed filmmaking way about him that he throws up documentary history on screen, throws in real-life stuff, but at the same time still tells this visceral, intense, complicated story of flawed friendship. And as you said in the intro, going back to the scene of the crime... There's a heist movie aspect to it and there's a war movie. There's a scene about 20 minutes in where they have gone to what was Saigon that's now Ho Chi Minh City and they're doing the tourist thing and they're in a bar and it's called, the bar is called Apocalypse Now and they kind of dance their way through this bar that is all themed around the Vietnam War and here's four African-American Vietnam vets reliving this experience And then Spike Lee takes that apart brick by brick without losing the energy and the thrill of the film. Each brick becomes something to punch the audience in the face with and I think it is an astonishing film. I haven't remotely yet decided all the things I feel about it, but it's a ride. Do you know, there's a film that's very different but it really reminded me of... Do you remember Deepan, the Sri Lankan French film about the resistance fighter from the Tamil... Tigers. Yeah, who ends up in a tower block with a yes. sort of fake family in that is a brilliant film on the outskirts of Paris. Tells us all this incredibly heavyweight, serious stuff, but then it also has this thing about violence in it where it doesn't shy away from allowing your hero to occasionally be a hero or a villain in a movie way, but knowingly so. Uh, I don't think I've explained that very well. I thought it was outstanding film. I think Spike Lee is absolutely smashing it at the moment what, what you're perfectly welcome to disagree what did what did you think you sound like you like it but for me i felt overwhelmed by the lack of coherence in what was going on from the beginning where you got this bar scene like the film is almost two and a half hours long there's a bar scene that goes on for absolutely ages and there's like <laughs> like the beginning of um the handmaiden i think it's the handmaiden where they're all sitting around a table and he's trying to be clever with the with the ca- camera angles, but he's not. He's just confusing things for no reason. Almost like um, a low-budget film that has decided to use handheld cameras quite a lot or flashbacks to explain the story. But then half an hour in this bloody bar for no reason, absolutely no reason. There's a lot of exposition. That was the word I was trying to look for earlier. And setting of the, up of the whole film don't have to explain everything that's going on in that way like there's a whole bit in the hotel as well so we have like half an hour them just like setting up the scene talking about everything that's gonna happen like talking about how amazing this bloke was the context the historical context that all happens at the beginning and it feels like that is almost like a different film to them when they start doing these flashbacks but they decide to use not actors who were the same age as they would have been in as vietnam vets 17 18 19 year olds they use the same actors who are like ancient and then there's a whole big long bit where they're just over and over again showing like them fighting in in vietnam 
Now that bit I found really unnecessary and we're like, well, why are we... Like in an usual war film like Platoon or something, you would have that crescendo, you know, except they put that sort of climax at the beginning. So then where do you go from there? And then you flash back and forth continually. There were bits of it that were really hammy and a bit too much, like them trudging around the jungle with these packs on and they're middle-aged men, they are really old. And then three times this happened where there was a really important plot point that was just mumbled over, oh, blah, blah, that was them, they did that. And then it turns into fucking Jumanji, right, where they're wandering around, <laughs> around, the, around the jungle trying to find this stuff. And they literally just stumble on it. It's like, spoiler, sorry, but like, it's like, oh, so that's not a big thing either. So all this time, it was the big deal. It was people getting suspicious of each other and all of that. And then it was sort of a heist movie. But then the actual finding, it was just like a bit of an anticlimax again. And then again, there's like a shootout for no reason. Not for no reason. I mean, it was just like goes on a lot. I felt a lot of these things that you're struggling with were themselves devices that were deliberate to make us think about what we were watching. But there's some really odd bits as well where he doesn't give the space at all for us to breathe into the problems, you know, like, or not problems, breathe into the film. So or halfway through the film, I haven't quite bonded with any of these people. I don't really care about any of them. And then this horrible thing happens to one person and it's so horrible but we don't have any time at all to start to think about what that was, what are they going to do with that person, all the horrible things that have gone on, why has that happened, are there any more things going to happen before we're into it? Exactly after that event happens, there's another event, then suddenly it's sort of a comedy thing where they have to pull somebody with a rope. It's like bonkers. Okay, so I would give you that there were moments where the script was too expository and the script was just a bit cheesy but quite often there were times where they were using what might you might think of as a cliche line where i thought what was being commented on was the way that people make war films is self-referential about this crazy journey into the jungle there were touches like that for me all the way through the film that said he wasn't making that film he was making the film to make you think about that film which maybe yeah. i may be wrong and you may be right that he's what he's really done is got away with making a very loose poorly executed action thriller in in the jungle like maybe he's made first blood part two really badly and so maybe the, that's why bits of the battle were not as cutting edge as the current way they're shot so you might all of that might be right but i just had this feeling all the way through that i was being that he was demolishing the form that he was working in okay in order to point out like so there's so much that we haven't seen simply because they're african-american so we haven't seen a band of brothers like yes. that unified in war which is a hyper masculine thing as well and very it's it's already problematic and then he goes right now you're going to realize that you've never watched it you know you've only ever watched it where it's most white people and one black person but he also makes the point that that wouldn't have been the case because so many young black men were put at the front lines they were the ones yes. that were dying first he makes all these points he drops in all his history maybe i'm blown away because it's because i was blown away by that stuff and that actually that's disguising a not a very good film but what i thought was it's the other way around that it's tells us some stuff we didn't know and that is perfectly valid. And I was with him all the way up to the first kind of Vietnam scene when they go back and they they relive this event. 
we didn't need to see them having that first battle. Do you know what I mean? It was oh, like, no, you're it totally like right. skewed everything. Yeah, he, he gave us, he showed us too much when we knew there was lots there. So Chadwick Boseman plays the young comrade of theirs who is killed. And he plays it as a young man. And as you pointed out, they're all the same actors with barely anything to make them look younger. I think that he deliberately did it so that they were just them. Yeah, but then it made the film really small then, didn't it? It felt like... Almost like, like play play acting. No, it's not that. It's like we didn't need to see that scene in order to understand because he'd already explained all about how the black uh, soldiers went out first and how that was like waves and waves of like black teams yeah. going out there. We didn't need to see that. We just needed to hear the sort of crusader in it, you know, the one that was leading them the whole time. And also there's five of them in that battalion and it felt like really small, mm. like when they were flashing back to them being in Vietnam in the first place in the war, mm. it was like there just needed to be a few more of them to make it feel realistic for me. I think you might be right. It's interesting. I definitely don't feel like that about it. I definitely f- came away blown away. That's good. I mean, I I have to say, I love Spike Lee's films. Do the Right Thing is a masterpiece. The other one about the other thing, (laughs) that's also really good, (laughs) about the mixed race couple. It's amazing. He writes what he knows. So he's trying to do a sort of documentary, an adventure, a buddy movie, with something about PTSD and yeah, war. Yeah, trauma. He's writing about and, trauma. you know, one of the most brilliant... I mean, it was there were just a couple of scenes that I didn't like that I felt like were a bit weird, like, and made it all a bit upside down. And then you've got, like, some some random liberals who wander in as well and a white woman. Because, I don't know, it was, like, weird. So it's a little bit fit. We're just a little bit weird. But that's okay. And it's worth watching, but it's just, you know, the stuff that I really enjoyed was the relationships between the people. They're on this little, like, barge thing, and it all gets really intense. And the way that he shoots it, Spike Lee shoots it, is, like, literally on the boat, on the actual river. And there's an altercation happens with a market trader and one of the ex-soldiers, and it gets really heated, and the Vietnamese person is shouting at them. And it all gets really intense and it feels like a documentary he's shooting. And it's literally, they're all standing up on this little rickety boat and it's all moving and everybody's shouting at the top of their voices. And it feels really intense. And it's those sorts of scenes that Spike Lee's really good at, I think. And it just made me feel like... You wanted the rest of the film to be more like that. I just wanted it to be a bit more authentic. There's quite a lot of adventure story in here as well. That's what I'm saying. Like some of it reminded me of this sort of children's like what's the like the jumanji stuff it's like them digging around in the earth and fight oh it's just really odd some of it but anyway so i wonder if there was a disconnect between like the writing of the story and then the the making of a big film so you could have a really incredibly intense much smaller more kind of realistic film about four aging african-american veterans going back to to visit their old haunting grounds hunting grounds whatever and that would be a kind of very powerful small film with some flashbacks with some history or or and you could even shoehorn in a bit of a like you could imagine you could definitely imagine a scenario where for example they're wandering around and one of them gets injured by something and that's the drama point like you know in a realistic film all you'd need is for those four guys to be wandering around in the jungle that they used to, and then someone to get hurt. And then you've got a problem. You've got to get them home. 
you've got to get them out of there. And yeah, that in, almost that, that in enough exactly. would be a... But what he's doing is something complete. He's made yeah. it somewhere along the line. They've made a decision to do a different kind of film, to do a yeah. big splashy, style-bending, genre-defying film. <laughs> yes. And tell a bigger story. Although it's not really telling a bigger story. It's telling a very crucial nut of a thing at the heart of the story but there are a hundred other ways they could have told it you could even do a story with no peril at all that tells the same thing you could have had them coming back to saigon and visiting people they met there and that could have been the film and the boat bit that you describe which is still they're still actually in the center of kind of in town on a touristy boat because the person they get in the row with that you described is a bloke trying to sell them chicken and they don't want to buy the chicken that scene was, as you say, it was really powerful. That could almost have been the denouement of the whole film. That's exactly. It. Like, and it might be because I've watched recently a lot of East Asian films which are really super quiet and intense, like that film that we watched about. Well, we just watched The Farewell, which, yeah. for example. Yeah. We just watched The Farewell. Yeah. And it's just one little tiny story and it's very linear it's enough to hear one person's story and have some context and I don't need to get overwhelmed by a lot of gunplay. It's not enough for Spike Lee though, is it? No, of course not. <laughs> it felt a bit rushed and I don't know, there was a lot of stuff going on all the time. Maybe I need to watch it again. So I do think... We can disagree a on lot, films. Yeah, of course. Know? No, it's fine. And I think a lot of the things that specifically you found bad about it are specifically what I found good about it like the looseness yeah. of it the the messiness of the editing and the messiness of the and the storytelling being kind of very juddery and dislocating I kind of assumed it was deliberate that's all so that was The Five Bloods that's on Netflix and it's by directed by Spike Lee what are you reading for what are you reading for what are you reading? I'm reading a collection of, well, a poetry book. I wouldn't quite say it's a collection by Banu Kapil. It's called How to Wash a Heart. And it sort of almost feels like one long poem. They're not quite one long poem. They are poems. But because they're not individually titled and they flow from each other very closely and they tell one kind of story, you're not sure what you're reading at any one point. Contemporary poetry that goes all over the place. It's not free verse, but it's uh, very modern in its structure. I don't know what to say about it, really, but I'm really enjoying it. I think I'm reading it more like I would read a short novel than a poem, in that I am about halfway through and I'm carrying on from beginning to end, rather than just dotting around like you often do with poetry. And uh, so that is uh, Banu Kapil's How to Wash a Heart, published by Liverpool University Press. What sweet reefer what are you... What, pray tell? What, pray tell, sweet reefer are you reading? Two, I'm reading this. I don't want to read this particularly, but I think I have to and I need to. Wow. <laughs> this has appeared on a lot of lists. We've had it for ages. Chris has had it on the shelf for a long time. He's got all his albums. Tanahasi Coates, We Were Eight Years in Power, An American Tragedy. And it is about the eight years that we had an African-American president. It's a collection of essays written over eight years of while Obama was in president. The personal story of eight years in a young man's life, a young black man's life, as he's going from a low-paid job with a young family to interviewing the president in the Oval Office. Looking forward to reading this. I definitely agree with you. He is one of the best essayists 
working today. Tony uh, Morrison said he was the new James Baldwin. I mean, he may well be. He is a brilliant writer. He is a wonderful, compassionate writer. Tanahasi Coates, we were eight years in power. You can find us on Insta at Refigure UK. You can find us on Twitter at Refigure Pod. And you can find us on Facebook at Refigure Pod. Be lovely to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. Leave us a nice five star review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, I'm going to plug that my late night radio show is back in action. It's called Folk Hampton and it's going out in Sussex on Radio Reverb on Monday nights at midnight. It's an hour long. It's folk music. If you want to follow the folk show online, just put Folkhampton into whichever service you're using on there. So it's Twitter and Insta and all those things. Yeah, and then it's archived online for all time at totallyradio.com. Or some. I don't have anything to plug. I'm having a holiday now. Woohoo! Holiday time. Thank you very much for listening. You're the best. Cheerio. Goodbye. <laughs>